0: I should be saying whichever party I vote for, if they lose, the market's going to drop. However, when we look at history, we don't see that. We see people are done with the political ads that are talking about how bad everything is and how the only people that can fix it are the people that you have to vote for or the world is going to end immediately. And then the ads stop and people go, ah, or words to that effect. Once more, unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake McClure. Will, I will talk about such exciting things as mercantile exchanges and um, cryptocurrency collapse. Things that to some people are the definition of boring, hopefully, will be. Um, slightly fun, at the very least, during this episode. <clears throat> all right, so what is this episode? I just told you it was the personal wealth coach, but now I have to give all these disclosures. And we tend to do it in uh, normal speed, in a normal tone of voice, and I know that's not how you're supposed to give your disclaimers and disclosures. You're supposed to speak at extra speed and uh, as much of a monotone as you can, so that's completely unintelligible. But we'll spend the rest of the episode doing that. So for the disclosures, we speak in a normal tone. Uh, The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the name of this radio program, though it is the name of the radio. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Now, that, not coincidentally, is the same firm that I work at, and generally speaking, my father's on the air with me too, Jeff had one of his children get married yesterday. So I was there for that, but uh, I didn't stay the night with other family members so that I could come and be with you on a Saturday morning. So he's usually on the air with me, and he's the other principal at the Personal Wealth Coach and SEC registered investment advisory firm. Now, what does that mean? Because the firm is registered with the SEC is not intended to imply in any way that the government somehow has chosen us as their golden child, or any other child for that matter. Um, They tend to look at everyone in a very uh, harsh and skeptical manner, which is what they're supposed to do. Uh, They are regulators, and that's their job, to regulate. So just because we're registered with them doesn't mean that they like us. Uh, It is something important to tell you because that's who you should complain to if I say some really stupid stuff on the... Wait, no, I do that all the time. If I say things that are fraudulent on the, there, how's that? So uh, the SEC doesn't give us a thumbs up. Got that one done. Um, The firm gives fiduciary investment advice. That's in the best interest of the client with all the fees disclosed, really easy to see, and all that good stuff, but I can't do that on the air. So this program, even though I have to tell you that the firm is registered as a fiduciary, this can't be fiduciary advice on the air. There's all kinds of privacy concerns. If I'm telling you about your grandmother's social security number, somebody might be affected by that. So this radio program is devoted to educational content. We don't accept money to do this program, nor do we pay for it. So it's not a paid commercial program. Why do we do it then? It's a really good question. I've been doing this program for 24 years. My dad did it two years before that on his own. So the two of us have been doing this together for almost a quarter of a century. That's nuts. Why are we doing this? Well, there's some benefit to us as a firm. Obviously, if you listen to us and you determine after wading through uh, all of our speech that you wish to do business with us, you can Now, I always ask people about their medication level after listening to a program like this and then coming and doing business with us. What what are they thinking? But uh, they generally think it's a joke. Um, So, yeah, we get a benefit from it. But we don't pay for it. We don't get paid for it. We've been doing this a long time because something that I believe, and I'm positive that my father believes because I'm a result of it, is that the education of our populace needs to improve, particularly in the area of money, because we keep making bad mistakes all day long, every day. Uh, And the more we know about it, the more at least we can tell when we've made the bad mistake, even if we still make it. Uh, Okay, so now I've said all but one of the disclosures. The last disclosure is that all of the information that we're giving you, or I'm giving you today, uh, come from sources that I deem to be reliable. Um, I am not looking at a back country blog sites to get this stuff. As often as possible we're getting the news directly from the source. If a publication occurs, we tend to dig into where they got their sources. Does not mean it's right? No, we can't guarantee their information. And it's kind of like when we talk about the, Chinese economy. They report a number, we go directly to the source, and yep, the number is correct. It is directly from the source in China. Does it mean that's the correct number? Well, <laughs> we'll probably tell you at the point that we don't trust it in those cases. So those are my long-winded disclosures. We're done with them. So what's happened in the market? Oh, wait, there's a couple. more. I'm bald. I have a beard. Sorry. Um, those are the last two disclosures. Next, what happened this week Um, in the market and in the broader world? We had elections this week. Uh, I, I recognize that if you're listening to this as a podcast or as a program, you're aware of that because otherwise you would not be listening. You're aware of what's happening around you. This is part of the reason why you listen to this program. It was a surprise to many of the pollsters. Those of you that have been listening to this program for very long know some things that uh, we are not surprised by this. In fact, we fairly well called that it was going to be close to status quo, that there wouldn't be a big blue wave or a big red wave. Because we looked at people and recognized that there are big issues on on the chopping block right now. And so that causes people to come out and vote. Now, Democrats were just as committed to voting as the Republicans, and so we got kind of a status quo. Usually in the midterm elections of a first-time elected president, you get whatever party, if they're in charge of the House, the Senate, and the presidency, they tend to lose the House and the Senate, or just the House. Uh, we said it's probably going to be a toss-up in the Senate and we're we're probably going to see Republicans take the House. Why did we say that? Because the Supreme Court has been making some decisions that are rather upsetting to the left end of the aisle. And the president has been making decisions that are rather upsetting to the right end of the aisle. That causes people, when they're upset, they tend to vote. Uh, Generally speaking, when you see a president who's got the party that they are part of, the party of the first part, is in charge of the House, the Senate, and the presidency, you get hubris on the part of the people that hold that. They're like, we're, we're indestructible, so they don't go and vote. So generally, you see the, the party switch. We saw that during the Trump administration. We saw it during the Obama administration. We saw it during the Clinton administration. We saw it during the Bush administration. You just go back down through the list and you just see this regularly. This was a little different because the Roe v. Wade in the in the high court, the Supreme Court, was a big deal to the Democrats, and inflation's a big deal to the Republicans. We can get into why should that cause people to come to vote when it's likely that inflation wasn't caused by the president and the Supreme Court's not an elected position. And the answer is because we don't often behave the way we think we should or in any kind of logical fashion, but it tends to result with political outcomes. And those of us that study behavior can look at that and say, we expect a big turnout from both sides, so expect the status quo. There. Uh, You're welcome to still proclaim that I am somehow a genius, but the reality is is just look at the issues. Okay. Some people might consider me a genius, you know. Um, But my mama says I'm very special. and You're welcome to join my special person club if you wish. All right. Um, So what happened this week in the market? We talked about the election. Almost every time you have an election, just about every time in history, doesn't matter who wins, you tend to see a jump up in the market. Yep. I know that's uh, apocryphal. It is heretical. I should be saying whichever party I vote for, if they lose, the market's going to drop. However, when we look at history, we don't see that. We see people are done with the political ads that are talking about how bad everything is and how the only people that can fix it are the people that you have to vote for or the world is going to end immediately. And then the ads stop and people go, ah, or words to that effect. So we saw it this week. The market's up. Our old familiar indicator, the S and P 500, which we get to through the symbol SPX. There are a lot of different versions of the S and P 500. This is the one that we're using. Uh, It turned in a stellar week as it worked its way up from recent end of week three weeks ago of about 3583. Um, This week, its low point was in Wednesday of on Wednesday of 3748. That's still higher than it was three weeks ago. Nice. But then came the Labor Department's CPI report, and uh, traders apparently discovered that the world was not coming to an end after all. And there was a big rally on Thursday morning. It was the largest single-day gain since um, sometime last year. Yeah, but you've got to have records. The largest single-point gain since yesterday. Well, in this case, last year. So it's it's very nice. It's the, the largest single point gain of the year Thursday, uh, and it continued to drive the market market up to close the week at thirty nine ninety two ninety three. That's up two point three six percent for the week. Um, Wednesday's drop, we talked about. You know, I just said that it was down to thirty seven forty eight and then got up to thirty nine ninety two. Well, Wednesday had nothing to do with inflation had to do with cryptocurrencies, the collapse of FTX, the crypto exchange. And there's a lot of borrowed money associated with it. And some people put up their stocks as collateral. So there was a big thought in the market that maybe there would be margin calls on that at some point, and those stocks would have to get sold to pay the debts that are owed to FTX. Except FTX declared bankruptcy. They're having trouble so Friday they declared bankruptcy. They're having trouble getting money together and they don't really have the ability to make margin calls on stocks. So this was kind of a, um, a fear that had more to do with there's a panic going on over there. So let's see if we can make a panic over here. There wasn't. Okay. Then inflation came in lower than expected. Yeah. Um, and that kind of breathed life into the market. So the market has been bipolar this week. Um, it is down still from uh for for the year to date 16.22 percent and it's down 14.73 percent from this time a year ago at the same time the index is up 11.46 uh from its bottom three weeks ago and up 78 percent from march of 2020 26 percent up from three years ago why do we say all these numbers? We're just throwing numbers out there. Why are we saying it? Because when someone says the market is up, what is their reference point? If, if you've been in the market for 40 years, the market's up. Even when the market's in the depths of a horrible bear market, the market's up for you, depending on where your measuring point starts. And we get volatility in bear markets. We're getting a lot of it now. And if you're measuring from the very top of the market or the very bottom of the market to show your gains or your losses, it's not really relevant because very few people sold at the top and very few people bought at the bottom. So as we give these numbers, it's it's a barometer for a much larger group of people than those of you that are listening. Uh, it's likely that if you've been in the market for any length of time beyond three years, you're in way into gain at this point, depending on how diversified you are and so on. you can you can obviously choose a stock that goes bankrupt or put all your money in crypto. That's a different market. okay. Um, so what happened in the rest of the market? The treasury bond markets were closed on Veterans' Day. It's a bank holiday, but not a market holiday. So the bond week ended at noon on Thursday which is a little bit weird. Uh, the 10-year Treasury note was yielding 3.82. It was above 4% last year, or last not last year, last week. Uh, that 5% decline in yield wasn't matched by the two, two-year note. What does this mean? It means that we have an even more inverted yield curve. And just to give that, usually speaking, when you have a loan you want to get or you want to give, you're either going to get charged or you're going to charge more for the longer the loan. If you want a loan for 30 years, somebody has to lock up money to loan it to you for 30 years, and they would really like to get paid more than if they just locked it up for six months or two years. So generally speaking, the longer the loan, the higher the interest rate. Well, we're not seeing that now. The two-year loans to the government are paying a higher interest rate than the 10-year loans. To the government. So why would you make a 10-year loan to the government? Well, that's part of the deal. Part of the reason why the yield's dropping on those 10-year loans is because everyone else in the world thinks America is a good place to be, and they like to buy 10-year bonds. So they're buying the 10-years, and uh, that's causing the interest rate to dry, drop. Why? Well, if you have 12 banks all competing to give you a loan, it's like an auction, and the interest rate gets lower the more they bid. We have a lot of people on the planet trying to buy U.S. Treasuries. So they're buying the 10-year, even though they could get a shorter period. But they're looking around at Europe, at China, at the U.K., heading quickly into recession. Russia already there. Eastern Europe really, really bad. Where's a good place to put your money? Well, they're dumping it into U.S. Treasuries. And when that happens at the 10-year point, You get interest rates going up. Now, at the two-year point, people are buying less. The Federal Reserve is dumping a bunch of its two-year notes into the market right now. And when it does that, it's selling its loan, which means there's less money to loan, which causes interest rates to go up. That's where tech companies and big startups usually get their short-term loans to pay payroll or to buy new equipment. So we're seeing layoffs in the tech sector directly related to that. Okay, so what's the big, big surprise in the economy? Um, on 11-11, the Labor Department uh, published its monthly first estimate of the Consumer Price Index. Um, and it came in at 8... Uh, on, in September, it was 8.2%. In June, it was 9.1%. These are not good numbers. The expectation was somewhere in the 8% range. But the first pleasant surprise with the the 12-month top-line inflation number came in at 7.7%. That's still not a great number, but it's better than 9%. And what's happening in Europe right now is 11%. So when we look at the core inflation numbers, our core number is well below expectations at 6.3%. That's still not good, but it's coming down from what it was. And we should expect to see more of that. I got a lot to talk about on that subject later. But that's going to wrap up the market for now. Um, One of the things that's happening in the big wide world, supply chain wise, the US and India are pledging closer economic ties. Uh, Janet Yellen uh, was in, um, was talking with the uh, uh, Indian finance minister this week about uh, connecting our economies more and having a, a more friendly and open relationship. Some of that is to get them off of the Russian boat. And the other part is to uh, reinforce our ties as a counter to Chinese pushes into the market. Um, so, Right now, that's on a really preliminary stage, but they're pledging closer ties. That usually comes with some kind of agreement later. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see India and the United States have some pretty good agreements coming out for free trade and so on. Whether that uh, leads to more problems in the future or not, is, it's less important than solving the problems of today politically. So um, that's going on. Uh, Russia, the Russian economy, since we're talking about you know, getting them off the Russian boat, the Russian economy is shrinking at a massive rate. Uh, I was saying uh, not too long ago that the UK economy in the third quarter uh, dropped by about 0.2%. Um, that's not a very large drop, but it probably means that they're in a recession at this point. And the Russian economy is expected to have more like a 7% drop in the fourth quarter. That's dropped about, so first quarter was down 4%, second quarter was down 4%, and the third quarter is likely to be down like 6%, fourth quarter is likely to be down 7%. Whoa. Um, Why is that? Well, for a lot of reasons, Um, big reasons being sanctions other big reasons being uh, sanctions and then other big reasons being a lot of their workforce has just been sucked up into the military long term and we were talking about this during the pandemic what's the long-term cost of a lost life in an economy and it's really big Um, this is part of the reason why we were talking during the pandemic about who needs to get vaccinated or not vaccinated, what that means, what does it mean to the long term of an economy if you take someone who's a functional member of the workforce and remove them. We still have several million people that are not in the workforce for COVID reasons. That's a big deal. Some people have long COVID. Some people are just out because of COVID. Some people don't want to come back because of COVID. And that's a measurable number. it's not centered around around the prime workforce age, though. In Russia, they're scooping up members of the prime workforce age and sending them off to really unproductive things for the economy, sending them to war. And their mortality rate in the Russian army is rather high at the moment. Really not a good thing. There are some Good studies coming out on what's the long-term impact to the Russian economy from the loss of so many of their younger people. There's a big chunk of their population that just got sucked up into the military, 300,000. About 600,000 left the country. That's a million people or close to it that are no longer in the workforce period for Russia. Those 600,000 are going to go join the workforce in somebody else's country. So the long term for Russia is not good. I mean, it was our, their demographics are bad already. Their population has been shrinking. They have too few young people, and now they have fewer. So Russia is not, in my opinion, an emerging economy anymore. It is a de-emerging. It is a, is a leaving economy, exiting economy. They are moving away from... The things that we would consider growth orientation, as far as education and so on, it's all going downhill there. Uh, China's got other issues. The lockdowns there—I've mentioned them there—massively a problem to their production. Which leaves us: we're still a growing economy. You know, we talk about um, the inverted yield curve as a recession indicator. The bear market is a recession indicator. Our employment numbers are incredibly strong. Our industrial numbers are really huge. We've got massive growth still going on there. At the same time, we have tech layoffs. So our economy is not universally impacted right now. We've got huge portions in growth and huge portions in shrinkage. In Europe, they just mostly have shrinkage. In Russia, they mostly have shrinkage. In the UK, mostly shrinkage. So our growth hopefully will help to pull the other recessioning economies back into growth. And once we start seeing prices come down, and I would expect in this Christmas to see a lot of major sales at the major outlets. That's a disinflationary, or at some point we may be moving backward on inflation into deflation uh, move. So expect big sales at Walmart and Best Buy and Target because they've got too much inventory. Expect sales on electronics because the chips are coming out in glut form now. All of this is good news for us in the near future. It's good news for us. Unfortunately, it's bad news for the rest of the world. And I'm about out of time for this week. Thank you guys very much for listening. It's been a solo program. I really appreciate your interest and your questions. It really runs, uh, helps us run the program better to have questions based on what you guys want to hear instead of what we want to talk about. Uh, We do offer investment advice off the air, fiduciary investment advice to people of high net worth. and You can get a hold of us uh, locally with voicemail during the weekend, real live people during the week at 254-947-1111. You can also reach that toll free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We've got podcasts and radio programs going back. You can find the podcasts anywhere podcasts are found. You can sign up for our newsletter there or just read them back to your heart's content going back lots of years. Email us directly at jeff and or jake at tpwc.com or through the contact form. Until next week, thank you very much for listening. This has been The Personal Wealth Coach.